When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, and this is Stuff You Should Know. (laughs) You were headed right towards something brilliant. That's all you stop yourself. I yeah I didn't have anything so I just no. I just let it die right there on still in front of, of everybody. <laughs> uh, hey, before we get going, we want to plug a couple of podcasts mm-hmm. from our colleagues. Yes, uh, I had a hand in both of these. Nice, congrats. Sure, I think this is probably the last thing I'll have a hand in ever. Oh, why is that? Are you I dying? No, <laughs> I mean we're all dying. Uh, nothing imminent, but I don't know. The door, you know, doesn't often knock for voice acting. Mm-hmm. Although you never can tell, but I did a piece of voice acting for Lethal Lit season two mm-hmm. premiere. Uh, and if you <laughs> if you don't know what Lethal Lit is, it is uh, technically it's called Lethal Lit colon a Tig Torres mystery season two, and it just debuted yesterday. Season two did, but it is it's great. It's like a Sort of a old school Nancy Drew detective, teen detective type of thing, mm-hmm. but modernized. It's got a little more punch, but you know it's still family friendly. A little more punch. I've seen a little more bite with the emphasis on a little. little, more little. Um, <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. So it is at, like it's the kind of thing, from what I understand, that like adults can enjoy, but it's it's also geared toward like younger listeners too, right? Yeah. I mean, they say it's like Nancy Drew for Scream fans. Oh, cool. Uh, but the people who make it are awesome and. Uh, uh, Heather Einhorn created it a couple of years ago when I was still doing like development stuff. Mm-hmm. I met with her and she rang me up a couple of years later and said, Hey, how about doing a, a piece of voice acting for the season premiere of uh, season two? And I did. And it was so much fun. I got to like really get a juicy character acting type of thing. I can't wait to hear it, Chuck. I'm not just playing me. Uh, that's great. Even when you played you, I thought you did a good job. You're a much yeah, better actor is... than you give yourself credit for. <laughs> this was a lot of fun, though. I wish I could do more of this kind of stuff, but I just, I don't like pursue it. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. So you can hear me in season, uh, episode one of season two, which is out now mm-hmm. on the iHeart Network. And then our buddy Joe Randazzo has a new show that's out. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Tell him the name. Uh, Dr. Sex Reese. 
It is not family friendly. No. Oh, you could have just said Joe Randazzo and that, that would have right. gotten that across. <laughs> not family oh, friendly. Just a family guy. <laughs> he is one of the great comedic geniuses of our time, but he's not family friendly. No. No. So it's it's a blue comedy. It's very, very funny. Uh, but you don't want your kids listening. But it is about a, a Colin show. He's a sex therapist mm-hmm. who has never uh, had intercourse. <laughs> and that's kind of all you need to say, and it's Joe. So, yeah, <laughs> it's great. I mean, you had me at Joe Randazzo. So, yeah. And that's out now, too, right? Uh, it's already out. And I don't think I ever mentioned in lieu of listener mail one week, I was going to mention it, but I forgot. Okay. Remember when I said I wasn't very into Calvin and, Calvin and Hobbes? Uh-huh. Like I never read it. You're right. He he left me a voicemail driving with his three children mm-hmm. where they sounded like a fire torch wielding angry mob screaming at me about not getting into Calvin and Hobbes. I told you. I'm going to share it with you. It's very funny. Like his kids sound like it's like Lord of the Flies level upset. <laughs> it's awesome. His kids aren't <laughs> family friendly either. Chuck! Ah! Really funny. <laughs> but cool. anyway, Dr. Sex Reese is already out. Uh, and then Lethal Lit, A Tig Taurus Mystery Season 2 dropped yesterday. Well, congratulations to everybody. Congratulations, I think, most of all to you, though, for appearing <laughs> on Lethal Lit. It was fun. I wish I could voice act a lot. I I have a feeling you're going to get a lot more requests starting now. Well, we'll see. People will be like, "Who was uh, who was that guy?" I'm not going to reveal anything about it. But okay, I did a a very small part on Squidbillies a few years ago. Oh and yeah, I it was never released with me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's like our kiss of death when you have us on your talk show. It gets canceled <laughs> within a month. No, it wasn't canceled. It, it no, was. No. I think. I think. I think our friend Dave uh, Willis replaced me. I don't think I was very good in that oh, one. You got replaced. At least he did it quietly. <laughs> I, I never followed up with him. I should have asked, but I was ready to go in there and do some good, like redneck voice. Mm-hmm. And because I do some good ones, and he said uh, he's like, "No, I just want you to just kind of be you." And I went, "Oh, Dave." <laughs> He just gave me a soda pop and sent me on my way. <laughs> oh, you got a free soda pop? Wow. <laughs> we love Dave and Squidbillies, though, so no no shade there. Okay. So welcome to the podcast for everybody who just fast-forwarded through all that and got to no, the part good where we started about littering. How about that? Yeah, and this one uh, was one of my picks, and I very simply thought of it recently because I was driving down the road in 2022 really- and saw a fully grown adult human throw a bag of trash out their window, (laughs) followed by a a cup of fast food soda. Filled with dip spit. So two different throws out of the car. And I just thought, my God, who does that? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's let's see if we can find out. And you ran them off the road? (laughs) No, I was just so upset, though. It's just so weird to see someone do that. I'm really, really working on not letting things trigger or flood me. In my sure. starting in my forty fifth year, finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm and with you. Uh, I'm very curious how how well I would deal with actually seeing that. Like I'm doing okay hearing about it right now. Like I'm a little jazzed right now, but uh-huh. I got it under yeah. control. Actually seeing it, I don't know how well I could contain myself. I was ticked off, but it's um I try to let things go quicker, so it's not like hours later I was still like, Oh, that guy. Mm. That's good. You know? That's good. Yeah, that's because you know what? You can't change that guy. No, you can't. You can just run them off the road. Yeah, or find them. If you're a government, sure. I mean, if you had tried to find him, he probably would have laughed in your face. 
Although I'm saying he, it's just as possible, it turns out, Chuck, at least if this had happened in 2009, that it could have been she too, huh? Yeah, statistically speaking, that is true, but I saw this guy's ugly face. Mm, I'll bet he was so ugly and stupid. I'll bet his whole family was so stupid. Yeah, I would have been so mad if he was handsome. (laughs) Handsome, (laughs) smart people don't litter typically, unless they're Don Draper. I wouldn't know. (laughs) All right, let's do this. Litter, right? Yeah, I think it was a good pick. One of the things that I love about this episode is it's kind of mind-bending. Um, one of those Bernaysian surprises is is firmed, wedged firmly inside this episode's topic. Mm. Don't you I'm think? I'm not sure I know what you mean. Oh, sure I do. Okay. I was like, oh, God, that's like four pages of this stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. I know what you mean. <laughs> I just I, I forgot who Bernays was. I was thinking about the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, it sounds good, but confusing. <laughs> uh, should we start with the word? Yeah, let's. I thought that was a good place. Also, shout out to Dave Roos for helping us out with this. As always, mm-hmm. as ever. Sure. So the word litter, with one T, came from Old French and Middle English, meant a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, with two Ts, it was like a portable bed mm-hmm. that you, if you were like a king or somebody, you could travel around on one of these. And I guess that's where a rescue litter comes from. Exactly. Okay, I thought, because I've always thought that was such a weird word for it. It is very weird. It doesn't really make any sense. But the use of the word bed for litter makes much more sense because it it, uh, comes from our friends down on the farm. Yeah. (laughs) Our our farmer friends? Yeah. You mean, you're talking about scattering hay? Yeah. Like, if if you scatter hay for an animal to sleep on, particularly like livestock or something like that, you would call that their litter. And there you have it. That's where it comes from. Like littering food out of your car derived initially from being a kind farmer and scattering hay for your little goats. Yeah, because along the way, somebody equated like scattering stuff on the ground that you wouldn't normally want on the ground with people throwing their trash on the ground. And so litter became used as litter. What surprised me is that, um, that this started way back in the 18th century. I would have thought it was a much more recent phenomenon, but no, it isn't. Yeah, Dave found a, uh, a something from a novel in 1788 that referenced the word litter as litter. If she is cutting a piece of gauze or paper, mm-hmm. she's sure to make a litter all over the room. Yeah. So like a mess. It was a literary reference to litter. <laughs> so that's where the word litter came from. And I love one I love I like the the stories or the etymologies where there's some really great theories because nobody quite knows, but I find those less satisfying than the ones where it's like, here it is. Here's your answer, mm-hmm. fishbowl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, littering was not as big of a deal here in the United States, and I imagine in other parts of the world, but we're talking mainly about the U.S. with these stats. But um, until the 50s and 60s, because it, we were generally a culture of reusing things, mm-hmm. and there were not nearly as many disposable things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of glass and, you know, Emily talks about her grandparents in middle Ohio in the 1940s and fifties, and they reused a lot of stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't like because of a green movement, it was just like people reuse stuff. Things cost money. And if you weren't like wealthy, you reuse things. Yeah. I mean, that was, even if you were wealthy, you typically reuse things. Like if you got milk, 
you would leave your empty milk bottles out and the milkman would come along and replace the empty bottles with filled up bottles and would take those other bottles, clean them and reuse them. Like that was just how you got milk, whether you were wealthy or poverty stricken, didn't matter. And that was just the way that society was up until the post-World War II economic boom, where um, thanks to a lot of technology that we developed during the war, uh, all of a sudden, we had packaging that we could produce really cheaply and really efficiently and no way to make a bunch of money off of them, off of it, uh, until some enterprising, I guess, beverage companies and, and um, disposable packaging companies got together and said, we've got to figure this out because there's a lot of, a lot of money being lost by this deeply inefficient reuse e- economy that we've got. Yeah, and I, I know I've mentioned this once before, but I'm just 50 years old, and I actually, I mean, we could get milk in the store, but we also occasionally would go to a dairy nearby mm-hmm. and bring milk bottles. It wasn't the milkman coming to your house, but we would go to a dairy mm-hmm. and pull up and get our milk exchanged. Uh, and the other relic from the 70s that you probably remember, too, that you know younger listeners might be shocked to hear mm-hmm. is the Charles Chips dude. Oh, that, we that got po- canister of chips? Yeah, we, you would get potato chips, Charles chips delivered, uh-huh. and you would give them your big, uh, you know, it was like a big metal tin mm-hmm. full of potato chips. And it wasn't like, oh, it was a tin with a bunch of bags of little chips. Mm-hmm. No, it was full of potato chips, yeah. and you would get your potato chip delivery. It's crazy to think about. We, we never had that. I remember the Schwann's delivery person, and then prior to... Mm, 1990, if you wanted bottled water, it meant that somebody showed up at your house with like a five or 10 gallon jug of yeah. water and you had a little water dispenser. That was bottled water before. And those were all reusable. Yeah. We'll probably speak ill of single use plastic bottles of water. Well, I think you should. Throughout. I think anybody, any sensible person sees the disposable packaging that, that um, really kind of drives a lot of our our economy and a lot of the products that we buy as really problematic. And litter is just one aspect of it, but it's a pretty big aspect of it. But I think what we're saying here in total to begin is that litter is actually a fairly recent phenomenon starting in maybe the 50s, the 1950s. Yeah, and Dave also points out that not only were we reusing things and just not having as many disposable items, but there weren't trash cans all over the place. Yeah back then either like there are now and there weren't signs that say hey you know <laughs> it's weird to throw stuff just on the ground when you leave mm-hmm. uh and he he did reference that Mad Men episode which is very funny i remember when it happened the drapers were on a picnic and they got up afterward and don threw his beer bottle in the woods mm-hmm. and betty shook the litter off the blanket <laughs> right onto the grass right. in the park and then they got in their car it's hysterical and just leave it there yeah I, I, the one that always gets me is the anchor man thing where they're all eating mcdonald's and walking and they just all throw their trash down yeah i mean it was there was a time when that was i don't know if it was ever acceptable but it was certainly not like it is now no. as far as you know you were like shunned not frowned upon but it didn't take very long for people to say like this is this is objectively ugly like even if you you were not taking the environment into account, which they certainly weren't at first. But in like the 50s and 60s, there were still people that were like, 
it, this looks terrible. And there yeah. are even like farmers apparently in Vermont were complaining that people are just throwing their glass bottles out the out the window. Because by the way, even though you could still reuse some of this stuff, the 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 companies producing these um, these um, goods that were in like disposable packaging. They were they were encouraging people to th- just throw this away. Like there were mm-hmm. there was um oh what's the name of that uh, podcast or that NPR show Throughline? They did yes. a really great uh, episode on on what we're talking about here. The development of teaching people to throw stuff away. There were actual like ads and commercials and PSAs that taught people like okay when you're done with this. Just throw it away. You don't have to figure out a way to reuse it or wash it out, or you can just throw it away. And like people had to be taught that, which kind of goes to show how unnatural the whole thing is. But it, but my point is, is that even at the time, Chuck, um, there were people who had problems with littering from the outset, even if it wasn't like a massive thing at that point, uh, like a, a society wide issue. Yeah, and God bless Vermonters. Uh, you mentioned the farmers there with a the broken glass for their cows, mm-hmm. but they sponsored and, and got past the first what would be known as bottle bills uh, when in 1953 they banned throwaway bottles. And this is where, you know, the writing was on the wall for the beverage industry in particular was like, uh-oh, you know, Vermont, they're a bunch of hippies, sure, but we can't let this catch on and get our product banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be in big trouble, and I guess we'll take a break maybe because mm-hmm. that's a great cliffhanger. Sure. And dive into our Bernaysian nightmare, right? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. Well, now, when you're on the road, driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. All right. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, friends, did you know that it's estimated that 85% of all customer service interactions are automated? Yeah, it's true, and customers are the lifeblood of all business. So you probably don't want to put that responsibility in the hands of a robot. And that's why thousands of business owners call Ruby and hire them. That's right. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. Yep, you definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. That's right. Finding someone who cares about your business as much as you do feels impossible at times. But the team at Ruby are experts in providing the best customer experience and turn every ring into a relationship. Yep, this year can be your best year yet. Small, efficient changes can make a huge impact on your bottom line. 
That's right, and Ruby answers all of your calls live from right here in the U.S. They'll take messages, answer questions, route calls, and much more. Visit ruby.com, or better yet, give them a call at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode... Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. So we've, we're entering that Bernaysian nightmare now, Chuck. It's like a giant Goya painting of corporate interests. <laughs> This one's tricky because it is a Bernaysian nightmare, and we're talking about the the creation of Keep America Beautiful. Yeah, uh, but it it all like I have I have very mixed feelings because the whole thing with Keep America Beautiful is is a lot of big beverage companies got together: Dixie Cup, Coca Cola, mm-hmm. Owens, Illinois Glass Company, American Can Company, and they said, "All right, we got to fight these bottle bills." Um, and the way we're going to do it is through a PR spin to tell everybody that it's their responsibility to not litter. And in a way, it's sort of an evil plan. But in another way, I'm like, yeah, you should be individually responsible to not do that. Right. But then also beverage companies also have a responsibility that they completely shirked. So I get it. But I also think people have a personal responsibility. You know what I mean? I I think that's a very sensible way of looking at it because I agree with it fully. Okay. Like, I yes, it, like there's nothing wrong with them coming up with Keep America Beautiful and teaching people to not litter. And then in conjunction with that, actually pu- putting those garbage cans out and putting, you know, creating like a, a public service campaign that taught people like, don't be a litter bug. If you, if you litter, you're unpatriotic. They basically used every angle they could think of. The problem with it that everybody has an issue with once you find out about this is that it was the motivation, the intent behind it. It wasn't to, to beautify America. It was to keep the train, this disposable packaging train going, right? Like, yeah. hey, everybody, stop throwing this stuff on the ground or else we're not going to be able to make this anymore. But even more than that, they, they took the, 
they took the spotlight off of the question, why is there so much disposable right. packaging to begin with? Why don't we go back to reusable stuff? That was yeah. working. And these companies are like, no, 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 we, we are making 50 times more money with this disposable stuff because you guys are buying way more. And then um, and then it put the, the spotlight onto the, the individual person. It said, it's your responsibility. Stop asking about disposable packaging and just start focusing on your civic duty to not litter. Yeah, and you sent me an article that had an interesting bit that, and we'll cover some more stuff in this time period, but by the early 70s, some more of these bottle bills uh, were happening, and they weren't so much banning things, but it was like, hey, let's incentivize people to come back and turn in their mm-hmm. knee-high grape bottle for five cents, mm-hmm. which I also remember doing when I was a kid sometimes. Me too, me too. Uh, and in 1974, California was considering a bottle bill, and Keep America Beautiful was like, whoa, this is big time because that's a huge economy out there. Mm-hmm. And they actually publicly opposed the measure for the first time. And there was a, a leaked story about the chairman of the American Can Company, William F. May, called Bottle Bill Supporters Communists. <laughs> yeah. And this is when the EPA pulled out and a bunch of environmental groups pulled out of Keep America Beautiful and were like, oh, that's like the light was kind of shining in on them for the first time. Yeah, that that like oh these guys aren't really you know environmentally conscious. They're, it's, this is strictly greenwashing for them. It was the first greenwashing attempt, and it was super successful too. Yeah, they spent fourteen million dollars over a five year span in the early nineties to defeat a national bottle bill. So. Keep America Beautiful does some great work, uh, but it's, you know, you got to know what goes on behind this stuff, you know? That's absolutely true. And that's good that they are doing good work because they, they are basically the sole source for data about littering in America. At the very least, they're the most robust source. But as Dave puts it, um, it's bankrolled by corporate interests. Yeah. But the people conducting these, these, um, these studies are actually like environmental engineers and their disinterested bodies insofar as, you know, they're still scientists, although they're being paid. Like they're not cooking the books? No. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's a very, like, I, I'm just writhing right here. I, I can't, I, <laughs> I just want this to be clear. Like, should I hate Keep America Beautiful or not? Right. But, um, but, uh, but I don't because they are... They have had a huge effect on littering, demonstrably a big effect on on reducing littering and teaching people not to litter. It's just, again, for their bottom line. So that's the problem. Right. And they are still the number one largest anti-litter organization on planet Earth. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, And they've had many ways to get their message out there over the years. I think their first... A uh, little mascot was Susan Spotless, <laughs> who talked about who shamed litter bugs early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we I don't remember what episode, but very on and stuff early on and stuff you should know. We talked about the what it was known at the time, the crying Indian mm-hmm. PSA. Mm-hmm. Do you remember why we would have talked about that? Mm-hmm. I like, don't. 11 years ago? <laughs> I cannot. I, I have no idea why that would have come up. Well, what was the deal with that? It was sort of fake on many fronts, right? It was. I mean, one of the big things was that Iron Eyes Cody, who was known for a while as America's favorite Indian, was not Native American by any way, shape, or form. He was actually a Sicilian-American um, actor. Oh, 
that was a big one yeah. that people definitely at the time didn't know. Um, and that was problematic, not just because this guy was Sicilian, um, but that also the the Native American that was being used in this ad, the very image of the Native American was was just totally co-opted by the this corporate group to, again, shame you into not littering, to, for you to feel bad, not them to feel bad, for you to feel bad for littering. Um, and it, it also, the, the other thing that I saw that was a big critique of is that if you'll notice, like the, the Native American, Iron Eyes Cody, um, or the character, doesn't speak. He's spoken yeah. for by a narrator. Um, and so he's, he stands mute, which I saw as a, a testament to his powerlessness. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know what we mean, it, you can find it on YouTube still. It was a, a minute-long commercial where it showed this Native American in full, you know, sort of traditional garb, paddling a traditional Native American canoe mm -hmm. through what looked like the Cuyahoga River in Ohio. I know it wasn't there, but it, it couldn't have been any more industrial. With this sort of war chant kind of music playing in the background, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was kind of wrong on many levels, you know, through today's lens. But, you know, he's getting more sad as he sees uh, how poorly the water is uh, treated in the, the shoreline. And then he finally gets out and a bag of fast food is tossed from a car and explodes at his feet with seemingly an entire order for like a family of five of fast food. <laughs> it's so much food. Uh -huh. It's like, did no one eat anything out of that bag? <laughs> Yeah, and, and then, then the, the single tear once you see his face. Yeah, they pan up and and his face is there and it's he's crying, which um, may have been fake as well, right? Yeah, I think it was a glycerin concoction. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what's what's not great uh, under today's in today's view was like award winning and groundbreaking back in 1971 when that ad came out, and it had an effect. It had a huge effect. The um, the uh, ag council who I helped produce that PSA apparently had to send out replacement reels because the yeah. original ones were getting worn out because they were being played so often as the, the longstanding anecdote goes. But if you're... It ran forever, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw it, but I definitely saw it on TV at some point as, you know, a cognizant person, you know? Right. It, so it was created in 71, and it was... I remember seeing it throughout the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So if and if you're like, was it really effective? Stop and ask yourself if you feel guilty at the thought of littering or at l the act of littering itself. Yeah. And if your answer is yes, it's because the um, Keep America Beautiful group did a really good job putting the personal responsibility of not littering onto us. Yeah, which again, it does make sense that like uh, it, it's just a shame it couldn't have been sort of a hand in hand type of approach. Right. The Park Service also got into it, too, Chuck, with um, Woodsy the Owl. Did you see that that uh, that clip I sent you, that ad? Yeah, I, I used to love Woodsy. Sure. How could you not? Give a hoot, don't pollute. Yeah, I got a Woodsy sign at uh, my camp. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I like the 70s version. Have you seen the updated version? Mm, no, I don't think so. He's kind of buff. He looks like he could beat you up. <laughs> oh, He's man. almost like buff in the way that Ned Flanders is buff. <laughs> <laughs> like a wholesome buffness that is strangely menacing. Weird, a buff owl. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. The other thing that Keep America Beautiful was successful at was lobbying for litter laws. Uh, and so, you know, now there are all kinds of fines for uh, both littering and the most reprehensible kind of littering, which is dumping. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of my favorite bands of all time, Granddaddy, has a song called Broken Household Appliance National Forest, mm-hmm. where uh, Jason Lytle's a big uh, outdoorsy guy, and he their lyrics are about like you know a forest just littered with with appliances and animals living in them, and uh, and it's not like admon it's obviously admonishing tongue in cheek, but he's sort of like you know it's got a nice a nice home for a bunny inside of an oven door and you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But dumping is just there, there's a spot in my neighborhood where people will still dump stuff. Uh, you know, it's like if you find a spot of woods with a creek, like you might find a couch in there one day. It's awful. Right. That's dumping. It's usually it's either like 500 pounds is usually the standard or a certain size, like so many cubic feet or something like that. But Ugh. it's like trash trash plus, basically. Yeah. And that's the ones where like you can get a, a really big fine or even jail time. I think in Tennessee, you can get up to six years for dumping. Good. Um, and in most states, if you dump for commercial purposes, like you're a junk hauler mm-hmm. and you go dump in the woods, no matter how much or how little you dump, you can get jail time for that and a pretty stiff fine. I think in Maryland, it's like $30,000. And of course, it should be that way. Um, the problem is, is like the, the, I think the fine for littering is either not enough to deter mm-hmm. people who do litter still. Or uh, it's unevenly applied, apparently, like like jaywalking. Remember we talked about in the short stuff episode that jaywalking tickets are not, not distributed equally among the races in America? Yeah, same deal with uh, littering, right? Yeah, same thing. So uh, you, they can take your driver's license. Mm-hmm. If you litter from a car in certain states, you can have your vehicle taken away. I think that's <laughs> only for dumping, not like throwing your uh, fast food out the window. I don't know, huh? But they should take your car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you drove your car to the woods and had 500 pounds of McDonald's packaging in your <laughs> in your car, they could take your car. Uh, we do have a lot of statistics, though, and Dave gave us statistics from two years, uh, 2009, and then 2020, and we'll mm-hmm. explain why in a second. Uh, but in 2009, their big study said that there were 51.2 billion pieces of litter along America's roadways alone, just on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's more than 6,700 pieces of litter per mile, uh, and 90% of that was less than four inches. uh, And I think 38% of that is is cigarette stuff, cigarette packs, cigarette butts. Yeah, old dip cans. I think lighters falls under that um, tobacco product category. So tobacco products... Um, are far and away the the most littered uh, thing. But cigarette butts are far and away the most littered part of tobacco products, too. Yeah, and I think litter uh, cigarette butts are the, the last holdout for people who ordinarily wouldn't litter that's, that justify it. Mm-hmm. Like, I will see cigarette butts flying out of a car with an environmental license plate. <laughs> I've seen it, and I'm just like, what is going on here? Granddaddy and- would be so mad at you. <laughs> I think people justify it. They don't want a lot. Well, a lot of cars don't even have ashtrays anymore. Mm. Uh, Like, I think you have to request one. Mm -hmm. And people don't want them stinking up their car, so they'll just throw them outside. It's true. It is true. There's just no way around it. I can't tell you how many cigarette butts I littered in my lifetime. You have made your penance, though, my friend. Huh? You have paid your penance. I probably threw fast food out the window when I was 14, you know? It's shameful. We're more evolved. 
Well, thanks for for letting me off the hook. I feel great now. <laughs> You're like you threw <laughs> fast food trash out the window, <laughs> right, you monster! <laughs> In what year? I just threw out hundreds of thousands of cigarette butts. <laughs> We'll talk more about the negative effect of tobacco products. But uh, the other year Dave sent us was 2020. And it said, oh, look, things have decreased by 54% Mm -hmm. from 2009. And cigarette butts even dropped uh, from 18 billion to 5.7 billion. I believe that. (laughs) The caveat, well, a lot of people, not as many people smoke. So that makes sense. But it was also during the pandemic, like the height of the pandemic. Right. And nobody was driving. So. I don't even know why they did a study that year unless they wanted to sort of shine the the metal on their chest. That's what I think. I think so. Because you I think? think if you, yeah, I mean, like, you'd have to be silly to, to conduct a study like that and not think like, oh, these results are going to be skewed. Everybody in the middle of 2020 knew any data that came out of 2020 was going to be unusual. So they so, went, hey, let's get out there and <laughs> count the it, trash. Exactly. Let's show everybody that this this disposable packaging thing's not a problem anymore. Because I hear the I hear them getting mad about it again. I wonder how they do that. Do they just count a certain number of miles in different places and then extrapolate it? Uh, so I know in the 2009 methodology, I believe they used the same one for 2020, but they selected 240 different roadway segments. Okay. Yeah. They did 300 feet by 15 feet segments, so basically right along the shoulder of the road for yeah. quite a ways, 240 of those in different parts of the country. And they literally counted every piece of trash, and they divided them up into two sizes, four inches and bigger, mm-hmm. and then less than four inches. And again, in in any category, or like overall, cigarette butts were far and away the most, but if you then go kind of take it down to the um, four inch or less category, it's like, all cigarette butts, basically. But that's right. that's how they did it. And then they they um, did the math and extrapolated to the, the amount of roadway in the United States, and that's right. where they came up with those numbers. So any stretch of road that you're driving down in America on each side has probably about 67, 6,800 pieces of trash just sitting there. I mean, I know you already said it, but I think it bears repeating. Great. Uh, the, if we wanted to break down percentages more, you have paper litter was about 21.9%. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the big problem there is what's called instant litter, mm-hmm. which are those dumb free newspapers and flyers that nobody wants. Yeah, but somebody like put some effort into laying it out and designing it. You know, even it, it's just sad for them to a certain extent, but it is nobody wants it. It's true. I mean, it's a job. Sure. Sure. Instant litter, though, if you're. <laughs> That's a good TV character or movie character. It's like, what do you do for a living? I'm a copywriter for Instant Litter. (laughs) (laughs) feel great about that. Yeah. That Uh, sounds like a character from Reality Bites. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Uh, Plastic is another obviously big problem. Uh, They come in in third at 19%. That's surprising. Yeah. I mean, that's what? That it was that much or that little? Yeah. I thought that percentage was a little low. I thought its share would probably be more, wouldn't you? Yeah, because – Plastic isn't just a plastic bottle. Like, that's an obvious thing. But Mm -hmm. any tiny, like, plastic gum wrapper, any little piece of plastic is counted as plastic, obviously. Fritos wrapper, that's plastic, plastic film. Mm -hmm. That's not foil? No. It's shiny mylar plastic film. Yeah, like a balloon. Exactly. You can blow it up and take it to your kid's birthday and say, happy birthday, here's a Frito balloon, chump. Uh, almost 6% metal, about 4.5% glass, 
And then 4.2% is organic litter, uh, which we should talk about quickly because a lot of people think, I can just throw my apple core or my banana peel out the window. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't do that. No, this is this is something that like I I could have guessed, but I would still once in a while throw like an apple core or something out like that. Well, do you want to share why we shouldn't do that? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. One, um, and this this is why I did it. I thought it was quickly and easily biodegradable and compostable, and that at the very least, if it wasn't eaten, it just went away pretty quickly. And there was a study done in Grand Canyon National Park um, that where the, the, the scientists who used to hike around the park buried like an orange peel, a banana peel, and what was the other thing, like a Kleenex, I think? Chewing gum and a Kleenex. And left them for six months and came and dug them back up and nothing. There was, like, basically no change. Like, the the banana peel turned, like, dark brown or black. That was about it. Like, they, they had not decomposed at all. So that kind of, like, does away with it. And, yes, it was in the Grand Canyon. So I'm sure in, like, the Florida Everglades it would probably decompose more. But the point is it's not it's not decomposing in any really quick manner. And then secondly, Chuck, apparently if— that other thought I had where it's like, well, you know, an animal would love this apple core. <laughs> uh, they don't. And even if they do, they shouldn't really have it anyway, right? Yeah. And just a quick uh, correction. She didn't actually bury it. She left it out in a in a cage so it was exposed to the elements where animals could get to it. She did both. There was a second part where she buried it. I was oh, okay. setting you up for the first part. Oh, okay. Well, the the first part is, yeah, she left it. It was an open cage, so it's not like they were trapping animals. But (laughs) I think the point is no animals were eating it, uh, or at least not as much as people thought. But Mm -hmm. it's not good for them. Mm -mm. It teaches them to hang around roadways and uh, near trails and stuff like that um, instead of, you know, getting their regular natural organic diet, like, deep into the woods. Right. Uh, And it looks bad. You know, that black banana peel is going to be there for a while. Yeah, it's true. One of the other problems with litter, that the impact it has on wildlife, there's an estimate that's kind of bandied about all over the place, uh, is that about a million animals a year die from litter, I believe in the United States alone. Uh, a lot of them are aquatic animals. Uh, we talked about like ghost fishing that definitely would qualify as, as aquatic litter. Mm-hmm. But also like if you throw a bottle out or something, an animal might crawl in there and it can't get back out. There's a lot of dead animals that you'll find, like, trapped inside a can or a bottle, which is a really direct harm that your litter can can leave on wildlife as well. For sure. I think the, the takeaway here in terms of food is just, like, don't just don't throw anything on your walk or out of your car. Nothing. Pack it in, pack it out. That's yeah, the th- mantra. then you're all set. You've done everything right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'll never throw an apple core or an orange peel or a banana peel out anymore. And you know what I always say. There is no apple core. You eat the whole thing. I, I know. <laughs> well, then I would throw out my uneaten portion of apple that I could eat the if stem. I were crazy. Throw away the stem and the seeds. Maybe a new apple tree will grow in its place. Yeah. I would love to grow an apple tree. I love apples. Should we take Joshy Appleseed? Mm-hmm. Should we take a break? Mm-hmm. All right, we'll be right back with litter. Well, now, when you're on the road, driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. All right. All right, game off. 
let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, friends, did you know that it's estimated that 85% of all customer service interactions are automated? Yeah, it's true. And customers are the lifeblood of all business. So you probably don't want to put that responsibility in the hands of a robot. And that's why thousands of business owners call Ruby and hire them. That's right. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. Yep, you definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. That's right. Finding someone who cares about your business as much as you do feels impossible at times. But the team at Ruby are experts in providing the best customer experience and turn every ring into a relationship. Yep, this year can be your best year yet. Small, efficient changes can make a huge impact on your bottom line. That's right, and Ruby answers all of your calls live from right here in the U.S. They'll take messages, answer questions, route calls, and much more. Visit ruby.com, or better yet, give them a call at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode... Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right. The other thing that Keep America Beautiful does is they try and figure out who these people are. Uh, they've done phone surveys. 
uh, in the 1960s, I think 68, in a telephone survey, 50% of Americans said that they littered. Uh, 15% said they did in 2009. Mm-hmm. Take that for what it is. It's a phone survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also sort of scope out areas near convenience stores and fast food restaurants and city sidewalks, and they just look at behavior. And uh, this in 2009, that same study, they found it was close to 10,000 disposal behaviors that they looked at, mm-hmm. and 17% of those were litter behaviors, and 81% of those litter behaviors were on purpose. Yeah, they call them notable intent. Like, like I'm throwing it out the window. It was yeah. not, it's not something that flew out of my car by accident. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and the way that they, they came up with notable intent was – was there a, a, like a garbage can in easy access or was there right. a, like an ash can in easy access uh, that was visible and the people saw it and just didn't use it anyway? Um, there's a, a they, and like a significant portion of people who litter just, just litter. They, they just do it anyway, even though there's plenty of like trash cans or ash cans right there. Um, and then f- the other percentage, the other 15% of people who littered did it in the context of there not being a trash can nearby or uh, slightly less acceptable that um, there was one, but it was really far o- away. It was all the way over there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and the other one too is the uh, what fell into context. And this is something it fell into context, and this is something you sent some other stuff about, mm-hmm. is that people are more likely to litter when they see other litter. Yeah. So like, the, oh, this place is dirty anyway. There's people that um, that study this stuff, the psychology of littering. There's a that, – that study I found was, I think, from 1990, if I'm not mistaken. And they – these social psychologists, um, Cialdini, Reno, and Calgreen, they they basically set people up by taking them to a parking deck. Mm-hmm. And the parking deck was either heavily littered or it was spotless, right? So those were those were two variables. And then in each instance, the people saw somebody litter, one of those instant litter flyers in either a heavily, heavily littered parking deck or a non-littered parking deck. And then they were sent back to their car and their car had that same flyer, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, they were. They would see whether the people would litter based on having seen somebody else do it, and then whether it was a clean place or a heavily littered place. And they found that seeing somebody litter in a heavily littered place made them much, much likelier to litter. Yeah. But that the people. This is the. I think the most interesting thing. People who saw this person litter in a in a clean parking deck. Mm-hmm. were far less likely to litter. They were the least likely to litter. So it's like seeing somebody else violate this social norm strengthens an individual's sense of responsibility to not violate that norm themselves. Like it, it ticks them off and mm-hmm. makes them less likely to to litter. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so if you if you have an already littered place, it's, it's going to attract more litter. Litter begets litter. Yeah, I, I sort of littered recently in a way, on my way into the SEC championship game here in Atlanta, we were, you know, like everybody was walking with their beers toward the stadium. (laughs) And there was one part where they funneled you through what I guess was um, our MARTA, our subway system's property. Mm -hmm. And so there were people there that were like, you can't take this through there. And everyone was like, oh, geez. And there were probably (laughs) 
1,200 beer cans on the sidewalk right there because mm-hmm. they were saying, drop it right here. Didn't have cans or anything. And then on the way out, every single one of those cans was gone. So they cleaned them up during the game. Mm-hmm. And it was, I guess, part of the plan. But it was very strange to just throw your beer can on the ground because you're being told to. <laughs> sure. Litter. Do it. Yeah. And also everyone, you know, power drinking at the end like a bunch of dopes. Right. But oh, that, okay. but no, Can't waste to have a beer. <laughs> but knowing somebody's going to clean it up also influences the likeliness, the likelihood that you're going to litter. It makes it, it increases the likelihood you'll litter. Yeah, like, like a park that you know is maintained or whatever. Yeah, for me, it was always a movie theater. Yeah. Until somebody was finally like, you still just don't leave it there. Just throw no. it away. Like <laughs> it's, The trash can is right on the way out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, this is got- before they had the big prominent <laughs> trash cans. Like they had small, you know, slender little trash cans. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, I, I I did that for many, many years. Yeah, I wondered about that today if people would be more responsible in movie theaters if they didn't clean up between movies. And you walked in and saw a bunch of old garbage. Right. And you were like, oh, what's that doing here? And right. if they said like, sorry, we're not cleaning up your, we're not your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a, a poorly handmade sign from somebody that says yeah. this this office is not your, your parents' house. You got to do your own dishes. I was always good in movie theaters because I've always had a, a guilt of, uh, and Hodgman talks about it a lot, is being aware of the, the work you leave for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, and I even had people to be like, they come in here and clean it. And I was like, well, that's one less popcorn bag that they have to clean up then. It's like, it's fine. True. Yeah, but you people should would never, argue with me for doing it. Yeah, and you should never encourage somebody to litter anyway. Like, <laughs> you no. know, it's true. Like, yeah, I don't think I would have told you to just go ahead and litter. No, who knows? I don't. You know. You just thought it was weird. But the um the the I think to answer your question though, based on the studies I've seen, the more litter you found in a in a movie theater, the more likely you'd be to just litter on top of it. Oh. Well, I guess that makes sense. So it could be self-defeating. Again, it's you want to make a, a strong social norm against littering, and then you want to keep places clean. And then in that context, if you see somebody littering, you're far less likely to litter. That's the that was that's like the the perfect storm of non-littering from what right. I saw. Yeah, yeah. But I have um, one more thing, Chuck, about the um. That, that 2009 Keep America Beautiful study, you said that oh, yeah. they were hanging around like convenience stores and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they would observe some people littering. I think they observed like 23 people littering. Um, or no, they observed like almost 2,000. I can't remember what the, what the point was. No, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I got this. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> so they would actually do these interventions. I think they did about 100 of them where they would go up to people in the like – convenience store or in the parking lot or whatever and just ask them about littering and some of those people i think 23 of them they had just seen litter and mm-hmm. they didn't go confront the people about littering they just went and surveyed them and pretend they they hadn't seen it so they would ask everybody have you littered within the last month and oh, like man. eight of those 23 people said no i have not littered in the last last month, even though this the study person had just seen them litter, they lied about it. So it makes you wonder about the veracity of that phone survey you mentioned earlier. I wonder if they said, no, I haven't littered in the past month, except for just a minute ago. What did you say, sir? Nothing, nothing. nothing. <laughs> uh, to button up the cigarette butt thing, 
Uh, they are plastic as well. They're not biodegradable. Uh, they're made of cellulose acetate, and they take decades to break down. And it's also tobacco products, which has nicotine and arsenic and heavy metals and all kinds of nasty toxins. And those get in the soil. Those leach into the ground. Those fall into a waterway. Mm -hmm. Those get made into a bird's nest, and it's poison. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a researcher that did an experiment where they put one cigarette butt in a gallon of water, uh, and that was enough to kill half of the fish inside, just a cigarette butt floating and dissolving in there. Right, and not just from the plastic, from like the nicotine, the heavy metals, the arsenic, all the stuff that gets trapped into a used cigarette butt once the, a full cigarette's been smoked through it. Yeah. Yeah. Kills the fish. Kills half of them. That's uh, <laughs> right. So if you're the person with the Keep America Beautiful sticker on your car and you're throwing your cigarette butts out the window because <laughs> you don't like the smell. Yeah. Eh, just do a little soul searching. Um, Dave turned up a company called Green Butts that uh, has come up with um, truly compostable cigarette butts made of like manila hemp and flax and I think cotton. And they have it so ready that tobacco companies would would simply have to buy them and put them in their assembly lines, make no change whatsoever. And apparently it hasn't taken off, I'm guessing, because of cost. That would be my guess, too. Yeah. Uh, if you want to fix littering, stop littering. That's step one. Uh, you can go a step further and pick up trash. Yeah, step two. We have a, a program in our neighborhood uh, like an official program where neighbors get together like once a month and do it. Uh, and there's, and I donate my pickup truck to, uh, to haul the trash away. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we pick stuff up on our walks all the time and you can, uh, the Swedes invented something called plogging, which is where you take a bag with you when you jog yep. and pick stuff up. Uh, so, you know, pick stuff up if you can. I do that sometimes. Yeah, Not every a time. a baggie with you on a walk. Yeah. More like a, like a grocery bag. <laughs> and I think there's still bottle deposit laws here and there too, right? Yeah, there's like 10 states that have it, which, I mean, that's good. That's definitely a start. Uh, 10 states in Guam. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave you guys out. Um, and that, that, I mean, that's a good way to go. It's getting back to reusable. And the fact that the, that structure's already there means you can easily adopt it in other states. You just get it started. And some of those states probably used to do it before. But I think the upshot of the whole thing is, is like, until we do something about the source of litter, yeah. which is actually um, disposable packaging, until we do something about that, we're we're always going to have a problem with it. Like, it's yes. just never going to go away. Yeah. Because even sure. if you don't mean to litter, sometimes it just happens. Like, if you're a garbage truck or you're hauling your, your trash in the back of a pickup truck and some of it flies yeah. out like that that counts as litter and that happens quite a bit so it we need to focus start focusing more on the supply side not just the consumer side i slung a christmas tree out of the back of my truck the other day under the middle of memorial drive that's litter <laughs> i pulled up to a stoplight and this people were honking at me next door and i was like what they said you dropped your tree back there i went oh thank you <laughs> right you're like <laughs> well go get it, it. <laughs> i'll be i'll wait here yeah it was uh and Memorial Drive is busy and fast. And I yeah. thought, what a way to go out getting hit by a car, pulling my old Christmas tree out of the street. Merry Christmas! <laughs> There's the headline. Little known podcaster <laughs> dies trying to do the right thing. <laughs> you got anything else? I got nothing else. Don't litter. That's it. That's a good one to, to wrap it up with, Chuck. Uh, and since Chuck said don't litter, uh, it's time for listener mail. 
I'm going to call this uh, Funny Bone follow-up. Okay. Uh, and this is from... Who is this from? A doctor of physical therapy. Okay. Has answers. Chuck has said when he goes to get a massage and the massage therapist rolls something up and down then his hand curls up and in. You were thinking this had to do with a nerve. Actually, it's because of a length a tension relationship with the flexor muscles in your arm. Uh, the tendons of your forearm muscles are very long and run through the carpal tunnel to allow tension to be applied through the tendon when you want to bend your wrist. This also means, however, that when enough pressure is applied to the muscle belly, uh, love that term. Yeah, that's great. It causes a motion similar to a muscle contraction that allows for the wrist to bend. Uh, you also question why cubital tunnel syndrome and tennis elbow weren't called the same thing. It's because they're very different. Uh, cubital tunnel syndrome refers specifically to the ulnar nerve being entrapped by tissues or swelling within the cubital tunnel, whereas tennis elbow uh, is actually an injury to the extensor tendons in your forearm. Hmm. It is a tendonitis. I see. That would explain that, is, that for uh, sure. Samantha, the doctor of physical therapy in northern Wisconsin. Muscle belly? Am I dreaming? Is that really what was just said? <laughs> Muscle belly. Our new band. That's pretty. We'd be like Daft Punk, just the two of us. <laughs> That's right. You'd be muscle, I'd be belly. Or like Sparks. <laughs> yeah, I love so, how into Sparks you are now. So uh, yeah, I was just listening to number one song in Heaven album before this. Cleaning. I think the they're touring now again. Too. They are, as a matter of fact, Chuck, and they're coming to Atlanta. You going? I don't believe we're going to be around to make it. Oh, muscle belly. <laughs> Uh, if you want to be like Samantha and let us know some great new term plus a bunch of other physiological information, we love that kind of thing. You can send it to us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at Canva.com. Designed for work. Just go to Canva, C-A-N-V-A.com. 